Well, we're glad you're here. If we haven't met, I'm Sam, one of the pastors here at Shepherd. If you're joining for just the sermon portion, what we just watched as a community is a video of our three-year vision for what we believe God has placed on our hearts to move from where we currently are into the lives of those that we work with, live with, and interact with on a daily basis. And uh, that's what this series that we're in is about, is about seeing that vision continue to take ground in our hearts and in specifically our neighborhoods. And we'll get to that in just a moment, but I thought today I would start by reading the second portion of the passage Jeremy read last week in our neighboring series. It's the parable of the Good Samaritan. It'll kind of set the stage for what we're going to do with our time together. In fact, I would encourage you not to read it, but just to listen um, and let it wash over you or soak it in. There's this expert in the law, and, uh, and he answers that we should love our neighbor as ourself and love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, and soul. And then Jesus says in verse 28, you have answered correctly, Jesus replied, do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave it to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Here ends the reading. As we kick off today, um, Pastor Jeremy kicked off the season on neighboring, and he talked about how it's a struggle for him to put on a cardigan, so I thought I would just show how astute I am, and I'm able to fit very nicely into this cardigan with no challenges at all. How do I look, church, huh? Yeah. I, I encourage Gabby to wear one next week. We'll see what she does, because we're embodying our little, uh, you know, Mr. Rogers action here on this neighboring series. And uh, what we talked about last week was uh, the first step that we can all take is think about who is in our neighborhood. And so Jeremy showed a picture of his, what we call block map, and it allows you to put yourself and your neighbors in their respective spots on your neighborhood. And we've had a heads up on this because we've been working through this material since October. And when I first filled it out, it was pretty embarrassing, to be honest with you. Um, but I've made some progress. And so maybe if you're out there and you're thinking about who's in your neighborhood and you don't know all their names or their stories, no big deal. Welcome to the club. We want you just to step in wherever you're at. In fact, you can get one of these block maps, as we call them. It's a magnet you can put on your fridge. And uh, you can fill it out and just make progress with us. And uh, you can get one online if you are joining us online, or you can get one in person if you're here. Free goodies for you. That's where your tithe goes. Very good. 
Uh, <laughs> you owe it to yourself. All right. I'll keep the side comments to myself. Uh, but we hope that you would join us in that. And if you're looking for some more resources of how to live into this, go to sov.church/neighboring. There's no way that we can possibly cover all the practice that it might be to live into this. So I encourage you to go there and take a look at how you might be a better neighbor to those that are around you. Pastor Jeremy gave us this working definition of what neighboring is. Are you ready, church? If, you, if you're ready, say ready. Okay, there you are. Neighboring is loving people where you are because of who God says they are. Each and every one of us has been placed on the planet, and we live in a certain spot. And in that spot, God gives us the opportunity to love people. And we love them not just because of what we think of them, but we love them because of who God says they are. And we're going to get deeper into that in a moment. But how many of you know, you don't even have to raise your hand on this one, how many of you know that can be a challenge to love people uh, where they are because of who God says they are. Huh? A challenge? Okay, I'll illustrate. Um, go ahead and go to the next photo. This week, this showed up in my neighborly Facebook group feed. It's a picture of um, snow that was in the middle of the driveway, and here's what the post says. Anyone else have this car at their house uh, and shovel snow from the snowbank into your driveway? Rude. Can you imagine you look out your window and you see someone taking extra snow from your snowbank and not just putting it and dispersing it, but putting it back in the middle of the driveway? <laughs> These are my neighbors, people, all right? <laughs> I'm still getting to know many of the people uh, on my block map, as I said, and so one couple that we don't know uh, guaranteed who their name is, I have some guesses, but even for this sermon, I'm going to keep their names out. We call them the Jeep Peeps because there's two people, but three Jeeps. It's amazing. They're always out there washing them and polishing them. We call them the Jeep peeps. And uh, many years ago, we had our uh, golden retriever out, and uh, one of my wife or I, uh, which will remain nameless, accidentally let our uh, energetic puppy off the leash, and he began to chase the neighbor cat, all right? Uh, but if you know a puppy that's fun-loving, he or she may not want to actually hurt the other animal, but the other neighbor doesn't know that, of course. And so they freaked out. Of course, I get it. I get it. It was our dog that was close to their cat. I get that. Uh, but what's kind of annoying is rather than talking to us face-to-face, -face, they thought they would go to Facebook and tell the whole neighborhood that one of their neighbors was letting their dog out and almost killed our cat. You've been there. The Jeep peeps. One of the Jeep peeps got one of those drones for Christmas or something, and we, uh, this last summer, were out just at our fire pit in the backyard, and all of a sudden I hear this buzzing, and I look up, and there's the Jeep peep, uh, one of the guys driving his drone above me for an extended period of time. So I thought I would, you know, I wanted to borrow one of Jake, Jeremy's guns, because he loves to hunt, and pew, just take care of that. Because I, I felt like the Jeep peeps were being a little bit Jeep creepy, you know? <laughs> so they're the Jeep creeps, if you will. But we all have different challenges when it comes to our neighbors, right? Because neighbors might be close in proximity, but they might be distant relationally with them, right? They're close to us physically, but emotionally, relationally. There might be a gap there might be a distance between them and us for various reasons. 
Our slide team put together this for me. There's us in our house, and there's our neighbors in theirs. And what so often separates us, besides the physicality, is thoughts, feelings, actions, and inactions. Isn't that true? So often the gap, the barrier becomes the thoughts that ensue. And this can go either way, right? Because we have some thoughts about who our neighbors are or not, and then that turns into feelings and how we're annoyed with them, which turns into action or inaction, and it creates a barrier, a gap, or dare I say, some sort of fence that keeps people out and us in. This can take the form of many different ways. One is internally. So we might have this kind of internal dialogue. Well, I, I may or may not have anything against my neighbors, but come on, we're busy people, right? I'm too busy. I got a lot going on. Or maybe with your wiring, you might say, you know, I have no beef with my neighbors, but I'm just not so comfortable fill in the blank, talking to them, making conversation, having a meal with them, whatever it may be. Or the internal dialogue might go something like, I bet they fill in the blank. I bet they don't want to talk to me anyway. I bet they're not very nice. Yeah, the Jeep peeps. I bet they're jerks. I just get my, my therapy out here. It's a lot cheaper, you know? And so there's this internal dialogue that can keep us distant from our neighbors. But if we go back to the, the imagery, it might be something much more tangible. There might be something that your neighbors actually have done that have caused you to be annoyed and therefore have action. Each and every one of us have different stories. I heard of one person who they painted their house a, a shade that was different than like the collective community agreement, whatever that's called. I forget. Just let me, let me preach. Don't, whatever. And, and they literally, the neighborhood was trying to sue their neighbors for the wrong color. How many of you know that would cause some natural distance and barriers to come up, some significant annoyance? So some things are internal and some things just happen. And the question is, what do we do about it? If we're, if we're called to love people where we are because of who God says they are, and yet we've got this barrier going on, what do we do about it? Well, we got to go back into the story, and I want to zoom in to the Good Samaritan story again. And I want to highlight one or two little insights that might help change our mindset. Here we go, Luke chapter 10. Again, it's the story I just read at the front end. And Jesus is responding to what it is to say, who is my neighbor? And he gives us three characters that we're going to compare to. First, a priest. The priest is walking along and he notices the man half dead and he sees him and he passed by on the other side. A priest was expected to do the right thing in their minds. As they tell the story to the audience, the audience is expecting Jesus to have the priest be the one to actually bridge the gap, but he doesn't. Then the Levite, who was a part of the priestly clan, and so in the audience, they would also expect the Levite to what? Bridge the gap, break the barrier. But what does he do? He saw him. Jesus' parable wants us to know that he saw him so that we can't find the loophole to say, oh, maybe he didn't notice him. And what did he do? He passed by on the other side. Then the punchline, here it is. 
but the Samaritan. The one in the audience would expect would run the furthest away from the man half dead who was probably in the story a Jewish man because of the tension between them. Pastor Jeremy preached on this last week. It's very likely that the audience would expect, if anything, the Samaritan would run the other way. But watch how he responds. He saw him. Three characters all see him. And look at his response. He took pity on him. We're going to learn in a second that a better translation is compassion. He had compassion on him. And then I want to slow down and I want to see what does the Samaritan do. Here's what he does. He went to him and he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, two silver coins, probably two one day's worth each of, of one's wages. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. As I was reading this and preparing for this week, a very simple insight came into my mind. Neighboring will cost us something. Yay, what good news! Why don't you just close in prayer right there, Sam? Sorry, audio team, I just clapped by my mic. That's a problem. Forgive me, Father, for I have sinned. All right. Or did I just, I'm father, I'm the priest, that's hilarious, I just, never mind. Uh, neighboring will cost us something. Come on, what did we just see? We just saw that, that the Samaritan bridged the gap, that it would have cost him some level of pride, societal tension between the Samaritan and his friends. You did what with the Jew? Are you kidding me? And you put him on your donkey? Are you kidding me? And you spent your money? Are you kidding me? And so as the story goes on, it's like more and more and more and more cost and more and more and more and more tension for them. And so as we zoom in the story and then zoom out, friends, as we're on this journey of, of wanting to neighbor like Jesus is inviting us to, we can acknowledge that there might be a cost involved. We can acknowledge that it's going to cost us a little bit of time. We can acknowledge that it might cost us a little bit of uncomfort, right? We can acknowledge that there might be a few dollars attached to some interaction that might include food or something. And that's okay. If you feel the tension, that's okay. I do too. Because I have my agenda, and I have my way, and I have my wants, and most of the time, my, num my neighbors are not on my top 100 to-do list. And if you're a Jesus follower, you're off the hook. You don't have to do it. But if you are, if you're trying to walk in the way of Jesus, he says, come follow me, not just come hang out at a church for 60 minutes and hear some crazy sermon with a guy in a cardigan, for all, of all things. He's, Jesus invites us to come follow him, and he tells this story for us to see what it looks like to do it Jesus' way, to do it the kingdom way, that it might cost us something. I like what John 1.14 says, God took on flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. It's the paraphrased version. 
What does it look like for us to actually embody what it means to follow Jesus and be willing to take a step and understand that it might cost us something? For us, it might cost us something. For Jesus, our follower, our leader, it cost him everything. He broke every barrier. He crossed heaven to come to earth to show us what real love was like, to give his life away. It cost him everything, and he invites us to follow in his footsteps. And we can do it, not because you're strong and capable, but because he is. And we come to this sermon today, and it's very likely that if you've been in church in any length of time, that I'm not necessarily saying something you haven't heard before. And that's the tension I live with, because I like something unique and a good spin. But I feel like as I was leaning into this, God was saying, today is less about a different spin and more about reminding us of who I am, reminding us of who our, his heart is. Does that make sense? That word took pity is the word compassion. And it's a significant word. It's used just 12 times in the New Testament. Every single time it's used, it has this, this feeling that they were moved with compassion like to the bowel level, like, I didn't, I didn't actually practice it that way, but it just kind of came out that way. Like, you know, when you feel something deeply in the bowels, that's what this means in the original language. And every single time this word is used, it's used for Jesus. Besides a Samaritan, it's either used for Jesus or a godlike character. And every single time they were moved with compassion, they took action. Are you following me? And so it's not okay just to feel empathy for a moment in time. But to lean in and say, God, regardless of if I feel it, you're actually inviting me to move. And I want to highlight one more thing. Either implied or, or in all 12 times that this word is used throughout the New Testament, they saw. They saw. They saw. This is the breakthrough for me. Because I was like, if I'm honest, I don't always feel it in the bowels for my neighbors, right? Like, we may not even know their names. How are we going to feel it for them? But what Jesus does that we can begin to embody is to look, to see, to zoom in. That's called having empathy. That God's inviting us to see our neighbors through a new lens, Because what we are attuned to is having us and them and thoughts and feelings and actions and inactions that keep us away. But in order to change the narrative, my friends, about what we might do, what if we could see differently so that we could think and feel differently? That it would move from a barrier to a bridge. Our thoughts and feelings and actions can actually shift in such a way that they can move from barriers that keep our neighbors out to a bridge that we can cross and connect. And it might involve us seeing differently. Silly analogy, but I leave this quarter on my desk. It's a quarter, so it's worth how much? 25 cents except for it was made in 1944 with a little bit of silver, which means on the outside it looks like it's worth 25 cents, but it's actually worth more. 
So often, if you're like me, you scan and evaluate people on their value based on what we see. But maybe not based on stamped on when it was born, but who created them. That we would see that, oh my word, there's more value than I can see from the naked eye. What would it look like for us to begin to see with, with God kind of lenses? To look closer into the story of our neighborhoods and our neighbors. To find out who they are. To find out a little bit more of their story. And this will actually help us connect our heart to theirs because that's how humans are wired. And when our hearts are connected, it'll be even easier to cross the bridge. And, I, and if some of you in the house, you might be like, well, if you, even if you change my thoughts, my feelings, and my actions, um, I'm still, it's just not my personality. Last week, uh, Pastor Jeremy preached, and he just talked about these extrovert examples of just crossing the bridge and connecting with his neighbors. Meanwhile, his wife, who's a therapist, um, made a joke to me. I was talking to her, and she said, well, Jeremy was just talking about all these extrovert ideas, so I just thought I would find a different church for the next six weeks. <laughs> Why? Because it, sometimes it sounds like it's just an extrovert campaign, right? And what I want to do for the next few minutes, because even if you change, for some of you, the way you're wired, even if you change your thoughts or your feelings or your actions, it's still going to be really challenging for you to connect with your neighbors if you have to do it Sam's way or Jeremy's way. As I continued to talk with Michelle, she shared, you know, that it, the, the examples that he gave were really hard for me. And then she just kept talking, and I kept listening, uh, and she talked about being in the airport and noticing people who kind of might feel uncomfortable in their own skin. And she said, I try to find those people and compliment just one thing. And I realized in that moment, no, Michelle is not like Jeremy and Michelle is not like me. But I have not one time noticed the insecure person in the, in the airport. And what, it realized, what I realized is if Michelle King is trying to do it Jeremy's way or Sam's way, it'll fail. But if we all do it the way that God has wired us to do, then everyone gets blessed. Everyone has someone to connect with, and everyone can do it their way and connect with people that not everybody connects with. Does that make sense? So be free to be who you are, but you're not free to be off the hook. What I want to do for the, just the next few minutes is give you uh, a, a trigger to how to bridge the gap, to how to bridge the gap in order to bless your neighbors. And I wanted to put this at ground level, simple stuff. Um, I can't take credit for most of these good ideas. Honestly, um, my wife is pretty naturally good at this. And so these ideas I'm going to give you, spell the word bless, hallelujah, you're welcome. But there are ways to remember when, when you're in your neighborhood, because you're going to leave today, and you're going to be like, oh, that was a subpar sermon, but if I'm going to do it, oh, crap, I forgot. But if you can remember these different triggers of when you're already doing life to bless with your neighbors then, you might have a fighting chance to bridge the gap between where you are to where your neighbors are. I gave you the full list out in front in case you tune me out. That's fine. When to bridge the gap? Simple. First, big events. Super Bowl, holidays, St. Patrick's Day, 
May Day, July 4th, Easter. These are natural holidays or connecting points for you and your neighbor. For some of your wiring, you might invite them over to the Super Bowl, which my wife invited our neighbors over this year for the Super Bowl. That was great. But some of you, it, 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 what's closer to, you know, the lower shelf of the cookie jar, it might just be asking your neighbor who they're going to cheer for in the game tonight, whatever it may be, okay? But use the big events as different opportunities to engage with your neighbors, okay? Second, leisure. What do you already like? And invite your neighbors into that. I don't know why I like bags or cornhole because I'm so terrible, but I like to play. And when we're outside and our neighbors are outside, it's an easy connection point. What do you already do? What do you already like that you can invite your neighbors into? Eating. We all have to do it. Jeremy last week was like, hey, I'm going to invite my neighbor over for a meal. And some of you are going, eat. Never. I also thought that was a little bit of a stretch myself. And uh, I was talking to Gabby about this one, and she, um, she's on our student ministry team. She'll be preaching next week. Don't miss next week. She might wear a cardigan. Who knows? Um, she was talking about her neighbor uh, s- said to her at the Super Bowl, we've got way too much guac. Do you want some? So some of you might be extroverted and want to, like, hang out. Some of you might just do a good deed and say, hey, I made too many pies. Here you go. Yeah, whatever it may be. Seasons. I love this one. When, when do we bless our neighbors? Big events, leisure, eat, seasons. We all have snow, lawns, landscape, leaves. First of all, it's a great opportunity to join someone in your complaining campaign. Oh, can you believe the weather we're having? <laughs> it seems like a classic. Like you're in immediately. <laughs> oh, the snow, I can't believe it. Where do we live? Why do we live here? It's a classic. You're in every time. But those things are something you could either talk about or a way that you can bless your neighbor. I'm speaking to my neighbor who has a snowblower, and I do not. You can go ahead and snowblow my, my driveway anytime. But some of you have a, a snowblower, right? You could do that. You probably already do because you guys are nice humans. What would it look like in the season that we're in to be triggered to say, hey, I could help out. Hey, I could do that. Hey, I could make this connection. And lastly, Similarities. You'll see your neighbors walking outside, or they might have a pet, or kids, and you might say, hey, I like kids, I have kids, I like pets, I have pets, whatever it may be, and you can connect on that level. When do we bless and bridge the gap? Think bless, and watch what God will do with a little shift in what you see, to see them as Jesus sees them. Because we have a choice to make, just like the expert in the law did. Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. Or we have the choice to hear the words of Jesus and go and do otherwise. It will cost us something, but the kingdom of God will continue to bless those in our neighborhoods if we thought of it not just as a metaphor, but we actually lived it in our places that we live. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for these moments that we do share. We thank you for this parable 
that you've placed and put together that somehow makes an impact 2,000 years later in a significant way, like it did in your, with your original audience. May we see our neighbors as you see them so that we can take our thoughts, our feelings, and our actions or inactions and shift them from a barrier to a bridge that actually can connect us one human at a time. In a world that is decreasing in empathy statistically, God, I pray that your church would increase in empathy so that we might see them as you see them, that we might love like you love and serve like you serve. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.